This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello once again, everybody. It is I, your host, Nick Scheist, and I'm back from hiatus. I think I must have done some bad podcast math at some point in the past because this is the official season two, episode eight, and we've got some good episodes lined up as well, talking about Alien Resurrection and The Running Man. But for this episode, a friend of mine from the Scheist International Film Club, a Torontonian to make it actually an international episode, stopped by to hang out and talk about a movie from the 90s that looked to catch lightning in a bottle with the popularity of Jim Carrey skyrocketing. And that movie is The Mask from 1994. So sit back, relax, and cue up the swing music. This is my opportunity to just do whatever I want with no consequences. I was confused. I'm in this universe, so I'm all for it. He sodomizes two guys with mufflers. I There's no way my mind would have known what he had done to them. Yeah, you're a reporter. Do you not know that this guy works for the mafia? Oh, that's a really fucked up thing to do. Her bosom is spilling out of the top of her dress. Always wonder what they were doing down there and how, like, the guy just, I assume, dies. His face is pointing at me. Just be like, this guy seems aggressive. (laughs) Alicia, thank you for joining me tonight. I'm glad we were able to find a time that worked out well for the both of us. Uh, I just wanted to do a little bit earlier because we got to go give a cat his diabetes medicine later tonight when this is done. So Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) thank you for helping me move this about about 30 30 minutes earlier than we were going to do. No, no issues. All Um, good. And we're here today to talk about The Mask from 1994, and I never thought of this movie as a particularly bad movie, but when you had mentioned it, I was like, okay, I could kind of see why people would think this is a bad movie or why it would be classified in the bad movie realm, but it wasn't until all the people that we know in the film club shared their collective dislike of this film (laughs) that I really started to think like, wow, this is a bad movie. So then (laughs) I had to start looking and seeing like, okay, is this a movie that lands like within the firmly solidified realm of, hey, this is bad. We all know it's bad. Mm -hmm. Or is this kind of like, I would say... Meet Joe Black, which has very good user reviews, but has very poor critic scores. 
And strangely enough, of all the movies we've talked about, this one is probably the most well-received across the board. Mm -hmm. And its Rotten Tomato score was super surprising to me because it has an 80% on the tomato meter, which was shocking. And the audience score is only a 68 so uh-huh. I was confused because if you look at the IMDb scores, it has a good user mm-hmm. review at almost the seven, 6.9, but the Metacritic score is a 56. So that's the opposite of Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. I have the, the Metascore kind of spreadsheet, not the spreadsheet, but the, the different uh, kind of range of scores that got it to a 56 that's pulled up and i haven't looked at it yet i just pull it up so we we can get to that later but Mm -hmm. i want to know what it is about this movie that uh made you want to bring it to the table for this show because if i'm not mistaken you went to film school and you have a background (laughs) in film so i'm very curious to hear how this one was something that you and I both like quite a lot, but a lot oh, of yeah. the people that we know don't like whatsoever. Yeah. Um, like you said, I didn't realize that this was a movie that people disliked. I just, I grew up on this film. Uh, it was one that we had on VHS and we would pop it in all the time. Um, and I just, to me, it was always like a fun time. And I, the kids I grew up with, we all loved it. So when I became an adult and I would talk about, oh man, I grew up on the mask. That's my favorite Jim Carrey. And they're like, I hate that movie. It sucks. <laughs> and I was like, what? I've never heard that. Like I, I could see why some people dislike or like other Jim Carrey films, but I always thought the mask was like a neutral fun one because it's like, it's pretty inoffensive and it's funny and it's fun. And it's a good time. Um, so the reason why I wanted to bring it to this show is because like you mentioned in the film club, people were just kind of ripping on it, not in a bad way, but like in a way where I was like, oh, okay, I guess a lot of people don't like this movie. (laughs) So maybe it's bad in the sense that it's not a badly made film and I don't think it's a bad film, but it's not as loved as I thought it was. So I thought, let me talk about a film that I I think is genuinely, like, I would call it a masterpiece, (laughs) but (laughs) others would disagree. And I guess, did you rewatch it for the purposes of this episode? And what was the the gap between now and the last time you rewatched it? Because for me... It might be close to 30 years since the last time I've seen this. I probably saw it in the late 90s. But for me, like there was a huge gap between this time and the last time. Mm -hmm. Um, There was less of a gap. I would say it's been less than 10 years since I saw it. I have a younger brother who's 16 years younger than me. And like I said, this is like a a family movie that all my siblings were into and when he became of age we were like initiated <laughs> him with the mask and he loved it so we would re-watch it and watch it uh but because it had been like at least i'm gonna say eight years i was a little bit worried when i put it on and i was like oh no maybe i'm not gonna like this anymore and i think i liked it even more this watch okay so, uh, i mean i don't know I... what it is I had a really good time with it. And I, because it had been so long for me, I too had this fear that 
this was only going to be something I liked as a child and I just wouldn't be able to get over some of those hurdles. And I feared that it was going to be like so dated that yeah, that was going to be a problem. And I mean, some of that stuff is dated, but for the most part, I think it holds up well. I don't question like the world it's taking place in very much. Exactly. I'm not like, oh, okay, this feels so old. It feels like a story that would work now as well. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I thought while watching it was like this of all the movies that are getting remade, like they just remade White Man Can't Jump. Yeah. And that's a movie that did not need to get remade at all. No. But this is a movie that kind of just cashed in on an IP that nobody was using and Mm -hmm. struck while the iron was hot with Jim Carrey because this is he finished in Living Color in 94 he yeah. had Ace Ventura, which was massively successful, uh, and also Dumb and Dumber in this same year. Yeah. So it was the just a uh, yeah, huge year. And so the mass just was looking to take advantage of the fact that Carrie was a hot commodity mm-hmm. and put him in a vehicle where his comedy was going to lead the way. And even though that is very much the case with this like it feels like his performance is very much at home with some of the other things that we've seen from him it doesn't feel like a huge departure for him even though the material might be and you know i've read a couple of the the graphic novels or the collected volumes of the mask and it's incredibly violent and very much rated r yeah uh, very very bloody so like watching this and kind of i don't know i like i had my detective hat on and i was like okay yeah. how much are they willing to give to the adult audiences that are going to see this and how much of this is going to be like mass appeal pg-13 stuff and so i kind of had a closer eye on that and it's it's violent, but it's cartoonishly violent. Very much so. The comics yeah. are violent, violent. And I okay. would be very curious to see this story told again uh, in a rated R fashion. So mm-hmm. I don't know that that's going to happen. But with the popularity of fake hey, comic book movies right now, you never know. Exactly. And I'm like, I guess we kind of have that with the Deadpool stuff where it's like comical but very rated r um i guess and this is just entirely on my side i envision him as the mask so i'm wondering who is as you know physically capable of the role because it's such a physical role you can be funny but you might not be a physical comedian and i don't know that seems to be a bit of a lost art in terms of comedians now it days they're not as physical or at least i am not they're not top of mind for me no one's coming top of mind there's a couple guys i've seen do stand up that have a very physical style but i wouldn't say that they're a big enough draw at all these are guys that like work comedy clubs but like don't have specials necessarily they're not on tv they don't have the kind of like fingerprint in the industry to put them in that position and yeah one of the interesting things i read about this film was how uh the director uh, chuck russell decided to kind of leave some of the cgi type of stuff alone mm-hmm. 
because of Carrie's physical acting abilities. And I think there's a lot of dancing in this. There's a lot of movement and it's not physically demanding in the way that he's like taking a lot of bumps like you would see in like a Captain America film, right? It's not yeah. it's not uh, that kind of action film. But I would venture to say that this is still very much an action comedy. Mm -hmm. Very um, much. And so you're right. I don't know that somebody that isn't Jim Carrey could pull this off. And I mean, I know he like retired and everything, but like yeah. if, you, if you got him a script where they're like, we want to make a rated R version of this and do like Deadpool with this character. I don't know. Come back for that, Jim. Like you Please. don't have to go. You don't have to go out on Sonic 2. He's good in that, <laughs> but you don't have to go out like that. He really doesn't. And I think there it would draw an audience. People would be curious. Yeah, you know, I would be. Yeah, and I, oh, this movie. This movie does have a sequel that I think I watched once. Yeah, with, with Jamie Kennedy, right? Son yeah. of Mask. I haven't seen all of it. I've seen parts, and I think, um, at that point, I don't know what year that came out. I assume it's early two thousands. It's where like the animation and the CG is very weird. Where like it works in this film, um, the whatever you know special effects they did use, but in that one, it was a little too cartoony uh and it just wasn't you know it wasn't the mask it was a whole entirely different thing in my opinion yeah and i think some of i mean i don't know that it's necessarily like some of it is a little cgi but this mm -hmm. is like the very early days of computer generated stuff and as much that they could do still with traditional like cartoon uh mm -hmm. cell drawings like they did with uh, Roger Rabbit or Cool World, they did a lot of yeah. that still here. Uh, and I think the movie benefits from it, especially because the type of character that Stanley Ipkiss is in this story. And very much part of me was almost like, is I, I couldn't quite remember. I was like, is he uh, an artist? Like, is he a cartoonist? Because that would explain like his penchant for cartoon stuff. And you do see there's a small figurine of one of those like cartoon wolves that's leaning against the yeah. lamppost that he has in his bedroom area. Bedroom. And he opens a drawer at some point is either in his office or in his house. And it's like, there's uh, a book of like cartoon sketches. And he does have that collection of VHS cartoons, like classic mm -hmm. cartoons that he just puts on uh, when he gets home. So he does obviously like present outwardly, like he likes this kind of stuff, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it's a huge part of the character in a way that Gabriel Byrne's character in cool world is like, he's actually a cartoonist and he wrote this comic book. And so that makes mm -hmm. sense of like why he's part of that. Um, so just something small that I noticed when, you know, I haven't watched this since I was a child basically. So watching it as an adult was a different experience, but I still liked it quite a lot. And mm -hmm. I was curious. Oh, God. <laughs> like, do you remember how this movie was marketed? Because we typically look at the trailer and I don't remember, like, was this just, hey, it's Jim Carrey. Come see it because it's Jim Carrey. Like, I don't remember knowing much about the mask character at all at the time when this movie came out. Yeah. So this is 94. So admittedly, I was I would have been like three or four when it came out. So I definitely would have seen it once it came to video, like home video. And I think it's just because my parents were really into Jim Carrey. Uh, they loved In Living Color. So it was bought. And then just as a way, 
you know, as a 90s kid, uh, 80s, 90s kids, I think we can all relate. All our parents just sat us in front of TVs, like pop in movie here and there. So the mask was like on rotation. Um, I don't know how it was marketed uh, because I don't, I just knew it as someone, like everyone knew about the mask. Everyone had seen it. Like nowadays there's people who haven't seen it, but growing up, I don't think I knew a single person who hadn't seen the mask. Uh, you know, the, like you said, the mask came out at the same time as like Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber. And those were like the trifecta of Jim Carrey, uh, early nineties, Jim Carrey. Um, so, and it's, you know, he has some stuff that's very out there, like Ace Ventura. And I think this is oddly enough, I'm slightly more dialed back because he has the duality um, of Stanley Ipkiss, who's just a very relaxed, chill dude, and then the mask. Um, so I think this is like the beginning of, you know, his later career where he was doing the more serious stuff. So I have to assume this is just marketed as like a Jim Carrey vehicle. Um, I don't know that I didn't know growing up that it was based on a comic and I don't know if it was marketed that way or if it was just Jim Carrey, the mask. Yeah. You know this I mean? a, yeah. This was a original comic that I think it was Titan, maybe dark horse that okay. uh, was written by uh, John Arcudi in 1991. And the collected volume was 93. The ones that I have were published in 93 collected volumes of mask returns as well. Mm. And so this is like right before uh, the movie gets made. But also, you know, I'm thinking of superhero movies and like Batman and Superman dominate the 70s and 80s. But then in comic book print, like the 90s were kind of like the heyday of uh, the new X-Men. So yeah, the, ma- the mask, even though like I collected and read comics when I was a kid in that era as well, it wasn't a book that I was aware of until I got much older. And then in reading the book, I'm like, yeah, there's probably a good reason for that because yeah. it's super duper violent. Um, And it's probably a good thing. I wasn't reading that as like a seven year old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but interesting to see that it was kind of at the the forefront of starting to adapt comics uh Mm -hmm. into films and obviously not the first one but one of the first ones to really not just take a comic book character and try to adapt it for the screen but one of the first ones to try to understand how to make the source material translate visually to the screen in a way that doesn't abandon like what it looks like on the page and like not to take anything away from the Superman and Batman films of that era, but they're made to look like the real world. And exactly. almost everything about this is made to look like a cartoon version of the real world. So I really appreciated that uh, just creative integrity in adapting an IP that probably a lot of people didn't know about at the time. Yeah, for sure. It's it's very much not, you know, it's Edge City, that's where it's set. And it doesn't, if you're trying to look at it, it doesn't really resemble any city that we know of. It's just kind of like a blank slate. And it has a lot of like 
30s and 40s American culture in there with even like the zoot suit that he's wearing mm-hmm. and like the jazz clubs that they're attending that that like at the 90s that that wasn't really a thing people went to clubs but they didn't go to those style clubs those had kind of died out at that point so it's very much kind of a nostalgic um setting but clearly like most of the people are kind of dressed like the 90s uh but it's not super obvious that it's the 90s um so it's just kind of its own alternate universe uh which i like and it when i was watching it again because last year for the first time i finally watched dark man the raimi and i was like oh this would make like a perfect double bill because they have a very similar vibe to it and the kind of anti hero if you want to call the mask hero of some sorts he can be not really um same with dark man though um and i just think those are two very 90s films but they're also timeless because um i don't feel they're super dated maybe dark man a little bit more but uh yeah i think those two mesh really well so if you like dark man and you haven't seen the mask I would say watch the mask and vice versa as well. Well, that's usually a question that I ask way later in the show, but <laughs> you got to it now. So if, yeah, like she said, if you like the mask, check out dark man and vice versa. And dark man's a film. I think that the comic came after the film. It was published as like a sequel. Uh, okay. And I think there's a dark man too, but it's Is been there? so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's been so long <laughs> since I've actually seen dark man. Uh, that I don't want to comment too far down that mm. road. Um, but I do remember it being uh, kind of like, uh, what was it? The Shadow also. And the the Phantom, I believe. The Billy Zane. Oh, suit. yeah. Okay. So those are a lot of like similar movies that were all coming out during the mid 90s, trying to like find an intellectual property where it's like, Hey, this has like some fan base that we can adapt it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they're looking at the success that Superman had in the late seventies to early eighties. And then how Batman was able to capitalize on that and really work like that eighties to what was it 89. And then before they really got into like the, the sequels that started yeah. casting different characters and Jim Carrey ends up in one of those sequels as well. But, yeah. uh, I digress. Yeah. Let's take a look at the trailer and yeah. see what the mask was trying to tell us. And if this was really geared for children or if it was supposed to be for adults that are Jim Carrey fans at that point, because I grew up with uh, Living Color as well. Um, and that's where I knew him from as Fire Marshal mm-hmm. Bill. So that yep. was something that you know, as soon as he started making movies, I was like, oh, I know this guy. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I have to watch. Before we move on in the show, it's time for a quick word from our sponsor. If you're in the mood for a night of dinner and dancing, head on down to your local Cuban Pete's Salsa and Salsa. They've got all the Cuban classics completely Americanized and franchised, like roast pork, Cuban tamales, fried beef, fried bananas, banana fufu, flan, and of course, the famous Cubano sandwich. Plus, they have a variety of spicy salsas that will have you creating new dance moves as you desperately clinch your ass cheeks together on the dance floor. Hooray! Cuban Pete's Salsa and Salsa has their newest location now open in the bright and shiny Edge City. 
So stop on by and make your stomach go chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom. All right, can you see that okay? Yep. All right, I think the sound is should be on. This is the story of Stanley Ipkiss. Stanley, you are the nicest guy. <laughs> really, you are. Yeah. His job is at the bank. You're 40 minutes late. Now, that's the same as stealing. I'm sorry, Mr. Dickey. It, it'll never happen again. He loves his dog. Come on, bro. Give him to me. Drop it. He's polite to his landlord. Ipkiss, do you have any idea what time it is? You know, Mrs. Peenman. What? <laughs> And the most exciting thing in his life are his pajamas. But now... Hey, you! What are you doing down there? I'm just looking for my mask! All that is about to change. <laughs> because Stanley Ipkiss is not the man he used to be. Huh? Spoken! His landlord did not hesitate to whip out the shotgun. <laughs> she really did. It's like it brings your innermost desires to life. You become some sort of love crazy wild man. I want him here tomorrow alive. Now you have to ask yourself one question Do I feel lucky? Do you? Bunks? Jim Carrey is... That's the guy! Hello! The Mask. Ooh, somebody's... Oh, featuring swing music from Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. It's a, it's a trailer. It is. And when the movie first started, I was like, do I not remember this movie at all? Because they're <laughs> yeah. like in the middle of the river or some lake or something and i'm not quite recalling where it takes place i thought it was san francisco but then uh mm -hmm. it's la definitely a few times like the, yeah i think the bridge uh at the end i'm like okay that's definitely la but that whole background is fake i was like oh, Damn, yeah. they made los angeles look really nice there uh <laughs> <laughs> um and it starts with like i couldn't quite tell i was like are these guys salvagers because they're working down in the ocean and then they stumble across this uh, treasure chest and mm -hmm. the guy who's down there has like a pry bar with him. So he's working yeah. to open it, but then a pipe gets dropped from a boat and crushes that poor guy. And then his yeah. story ends as the mask floats to the top. Yeah. And so I was like, what were they doing? Were they like putting in like phone lines or like power cables or something under the water? Because it just kind of throws you into the middle of this. Like mm. it, it didn't have to happen there. This could have been like, Oh, this is a, like it falls off a garbage truck or uh, they find it in an antique store or so many different ways to start this. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure of why uh, they chose to go with like these disposable throwaway characters with no names. I don't even know if they have speaking lines and then they just kill this guy unceremoniously with like a giant pipe in the middle of the ocean. So I was like, okay, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I remember what happens or how he gets his mask at this point. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene later where he first kind of sees what is, uh, what he thinks is a dead body floating. Yeah. And 
in watching it back, I always thought, oh, no, it wasn't really a dead body. But in that scene, I'm like, no, that's a body. And by the time he gets his hands on it, it's not a body anymore. It's just like a pile of garbage. And so I know that they are trying to tell us that he thinks it's a body to give him an excuse to jump in there and to actually like find the mask. But at the same time in the background, like there's mob activity going on and it would be completely fitting for that to be a dead body. So I'm very curious if that is something that just didn't test well with audiences that like, no, this is a Jim Carrey movie. We can't be showing a floating corpse in, you know, the opening of this film and have it carry the PG 13 type of label that we want it to. Um, but exactly. it would have it would have fit very much thematically with what's going on in the story if this were a body that were disposed of by uh why can I not think of his name Dorian or Dorian. or his yeah. boss who was uh Nikki I think something like that yeah i I always remember the opening because I also always wondered what they were doing down there and how like the guy just I assume dies down there and is never talked about. I have to assume because everything you're saying is very correct. And I think it would make sense that they were either they could have just cut that out and he could have found it any other way. He could have still found it in the water, you know, without that opening scene, or it could have been, you know, mob activity. And I'm wondering if there was probably more and it just got cut out just to refrain from having too much at the opening because i remember uh when re-watching it i was like oh this opening this setup is very quick and brief and all of a sudden it's like the mask and then we get into stanley Africus and his life and i was like oh okay so you're showing us that the mask is in the water but there's no explanation as to why this mask is there why it's in like a treasure chest <laughs> and why those people are down there trying to open a treasure chest and random i assume lake water as a maybe it's ocean water uh but doesn't look like it <laughs> so um yeah it's i have to assume there was some editing and as watching it and what you mentioned before with the comic book stuff or the animation stuff i noticed a lot of looney tunes uh memorabilia either like when he opens his desk there's a looney tunes like comic there and in his apartment there's some looney tunes stuff i was like is this wb associated and i don't remember and then on the trailer we see wb and i was like oh big warner logo right there yeah so we're prefacing that this is for a younger audience and it's not going to get darker than it needs to be um and it's really not like re-watching it uh i watched it (laughs) with my three-year-old I wanted to test to see if it was scary or not. And there was times where she looked kind of worried, but like then the animation would start and he would be the mask and she thought it was so entertaining. She loved Milo. So it's very much, it's not a kid's movie, but it's definitely kid friendly. I love Milo too. And it was one of my favorite parts of rewatching this. Um, and I couldn't tell, like, my dog was next to me on the couch. And like, there was a couple times where it looked like she was watching. And she's not mm-hmm. really the type to respond to, like, dogs on the screen. But every now and then, she'll sit down and she'll, like, actually look like she's watching the TV. And I was yeah. like, I-, I wish she could go, like, find my keys when I lose them. That would be <laughs> very helpful. But 
it's strange that you mentioned that this uh like is definitely kid friendly and i would mm-hmm. say more geared towards being palatable for kids yeah. and the year after this spawn the mask animated series which ran for two seasons as well so i wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if that was already kind of like in the plan to we're going to do this and then like hey you know we have the foundation in place to make an animated series here and mm-hmm. you know it's running in 1995 so it didn't you know it only lasted two seasons so it wasn't uh, hugely popular but in watching the film as an adult i see that it's like it's a rated r movie that is wearing like a pg-13 jumpsuit like it's so easily could become rated r and there's a lot of scenes that I think walk that line very closely. Oh yeah. And hundred percent. I don't want to jump ahead like too far, but uh, there's a scene where he like basically becomes like Pepe Le Pew and <laughs> that cartoon character. I mean, for a long time it was like, Oh, like it's funny that he's constantly like Harassing. assaulting this woman. Yeah. <laughs> And when he gets to that moment with um, Cameron Diaz in the park, like he's very forward the whole time and she's very much like not into it. And there's only one scene earlier in the film where he's watching Ben Stein explain like, you know, how the mask works in psychology Mm -hmm. and how the like we all wear masks and it hides the id. And, yeah. you know, when uh, Seth and Michelle did their episode uh, on like super, super amazing, super fantastic movies, like one of the bonus episodes for Movie yeah. Friends, they did Drop Dead Fred, which also like mid 90s kind of same yeah. cartoony, zany, borderline rated, borderline rated R film. And in that, when he asked uh, like for comments, I had written something for him talking specifically about how Fred is the representation of uh, the little girl's it. Like, all of his yeah. behaviors are her. So it's very interesting to then watch this movie again from very close to the same time that digs into, like, who the mask really is. Because very early on, you... Like, Stanley doesn't know that this happened. He wakes up thinking it was a dream... Yeah. When he figures it out, he starts to remember, but there is a sort of disconnect that like this all these things are happening beyond his control. And then as he comes to terms with the fact that like it is him making these decisions, it changes the way that I viewed Stanley because yeah. you you oh, see yeah. him presented to us as even in the trailer it's like Oh, like he's a dork and like he like his desk is broken and he's he he physically acts strange and uh, he's not good with women. And he lives in a shitty studio apartment where his landlord uh, busts his balls about like a curfew that he shouldn't even have. And so it's (laughs) so much of like this guy's a loser. And then he puts on the mask and it's like, you're not a loser anymore. Like, yeah, the the mask itself. Basically grants him the power to do anything he wants. Very and much. yeah 
there was a poll going around on Twitter months back, which was like, oh, pick the mask and you get the powers associated with it. And it was like Iron Man, Batman, et cetera. And not a lot of people were picking the mask. And I was like, I don't think that many people really know like what the mask is. Yeah. Like it's exactly. basically like the Green Lantern's power where your imagination is the limit for what you can do. Um, and Stanley is not really exploring like the full potential of it, but just the little bit that he does really shows you like how big of a difference there is between Stanley Ipkiss, the bank worker who gets rejected and like politely shot down after buying concert tickets for a lady that he has a crush on. Yep. And then, Oh, okay. Like I'm going to be the nice guy and let you yeah. go with your friend. And you know, that's who we get introduced to. And then exactly. As soon as he's the mask, he's just doing whatever he wants. He dresses better. He's more confident. Like he walks tall. He's got these big shiny teeth. So he's always like smiling, always has energy. And we see him walk into like a gang of thugs, which apparently <laughs> yeah. there was like a, a deleted scene. But why these guys are all like wearing vests with no shirts and like, you know, they look like the village people, but out on yeah. the street <laughs> and they they ask him for the time. And I guess there was a deleted scene earlier where they like assault him and uh, rob him and take his watch, which is why he goes to his uh, landlord she's like do you know what time it is ipkis and he says no because he just got his watch stolen so it ex okay. that would explain like why he's like so down on himself by the time he gets back to his apartment but they end up going into the alleyway and he sets up like this funhouse booth and yep. like there's a, like he whips a used condom out of his pocket and so like something small like that where we see the version of stanley that we see yeah, is not a ladies man is not getting laid. But this guy, the mask has a used condom from I don't want to know where, <laughs> but hopefully just his imagination. <laughs> it's the hope. It's the hope. And in that scene later, he builds a Tommy gun out of a balloon animal mm -hmm. and he just unloads it into the street and doesn't hit anybody like everybody gets away safely. But it lets you know that like he's dangerous and exactly can kind of craft things that uh, are going to allow him to manipulate the physical world in a way that is going to make him a serious threat. But also it led me to believe that it was setting up something that didn't happen. Like he was going to become drunk with power in a certain way that was going to like yeah. compromise who the core character was. And so that's a much different story about, you know, someone who is a loser who then gets power and kind of like turns into this other person because they've been shit on by so many people. And, you know, they if you go that route, it's not really like a Jim Carrey comedy anymore. Exactly. So I understand why you bring in Dorian and you have like a real bad guy and you real one. let him yeah. wear the mask. But this is something that I don't know why I connected to it deeper this time, other than I'm just coming from a place where I can see all of the adult stuff happening exactly rather than being a kid and being like, Oh, it's funny. I like, okay, well that's a condom, but like, I'm not really thinking too deeply about why that's something that he wants to present in that moment. Like what's, the, mm -hmm. what's, I what's mean, there in the writing of the character that is digging into Stanley that makes his subconscious 
perform this in this situation. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff like that. And I think he breaks the breaks the fourth wall like the first time he becomes the mask too. And oh yeah. That's something that we see in Deadpool now as well. I know, that, yeah. That works with great effect. Um, and that's something that's in the how Deadpool is written as a character in the comics as well. And I don't know. It's been a while since I read the comics and I wanted to sit down and read them today, but I just ran out of time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's something that the character does on the page as or well. Or if it's Jim Carrey kind of thing yeah. that he brought. I, I assumed it kind of was because I think he does that a lot, especially around that time where he would sort of fully break the fourth wall or be hinting at the audience and we know that he's hinting and acknowledging um but like all everything you're saying is super valid and it's interesting the way that stanley is presented to us he's very much the the nice guy um and you're automatically meant to feel sorry for him because we don't see anything wrong with him mm-hmm. but he's being shut down but there's always he always has a kind of a moment where he wants to you know, assert himself, whether it's with that woman where he's like, oh, well, you know, there's only two tickets or with his boss who's given a hard time. And with the landlady, he always just is on the verge of asserting himself and putting his foot down and telling people how he actually feels. And the mask allows him to do that. You know, the mask would allow anyone to actually be who they not necessarily who they want to be, but be like, this is my opportunity to just do whatever I want with no consequences uh, while you're the mask. The consequences come when you take off the mask. Yeah, I would Uh, say like a good point of comparison for that would be Hollow Man. Like you you see Kevin Bacon, who is like, he's smart, like he's charming, but like underneath all that, like he's really this other person. And then when oh, yeah. it's you, when as you remove him and he gets anonymity through being invisible, then you see the depths of like who and like, well, who his character is and the lengths that he's willing to go to to get what he wants. And, you know, maybe that's something that is present with Stanley, but they always want to bring it back to him being you know, the hero. And it could be yeah. a Jim Carrey thing because even when he's the villain in Batman, it's like he's still a fairly charismatic villain. He's never like like Two-Face in that movie is more of like the I'm gonna, you know, flip a coin and kill this guy mm-hmm. type of villain. Jim Carrey's Riddler is more like, oh, I just want to like steal everybody's brain power and make myself smarter. Yeah. It's like a different kind of villain. Kind of like, but yeah, mischievous, which is the same thing with this. And I'm sure we'll get into the the powers from the mask, but uh, like you said, he never really comes across as evil. Um, it's more just like I now have the power to, you know, right some wrongs and get back, get revenge, as opposed to going out of his way to hurt people who haven't done anything to him. It's always kind of a revenge situation. Yeah. And, you know, I'll I'll ask you right now, since we're getting into some of the more detailed stuff, like when we first meet him at the bank, it's mm-hmm. his coworker who he buys the concert tickets for with like the expectation that they're going to go together. Yeah. And then she shuts him down and like she wants to go with her friend. And he kind of just takes it on the chin. And it's meant to show us that like 
he's weak and he's not assertive and that he doesn't do well with women but he like that's something that i felt that like maybe was well definitely was dated in terms of watching it 30 years down the line in that he feels entitled to some something from her because of getting the concert tickets and they don't get into like what the previous arrangement was or if like she had agreed to go with him before that and he changed her mind or anything but it is this thing of like oh he's presented as the nice guy who gets shit on here but he's also that's a character that's like oh i bought concert tickets expecting to get something in return from her and that's not necessarily like hey this is a nice guy so it's interesting to see the, the writing in 1994 using kind of like a you know a very tropey way to to get that across very early on and i think right after that is when uh like cameron diaz gets introduced mm-hmm. and she comes in in a red dress and then she's oh, yeah. bending over and her bosom <laughs> is spilling out of the top of her dress and i i see what the filmmaker's doing i mean you put cameron diaz in that role for a reason but yep. like she's bending over for no reason I'm like, oh no, yeah, yeah. She's like touching like the the strap of her shoe, but she's not like tightening her shoe. She's not no. adjusting it. She's not drying herself off. She's just like bending over and like lightly touching it. So it's like, okay, we want to just like show off her cleavage here and have yeah. Stanley and the other guy like fall over each other because she walks in. And again, it's like, okay, like good looking woman walks in the room. The nice guy's like, oh my god, she's so beautiful, right? But it's like, nope, this woman that I've been trying to, you know, get to go on a date with me that I just got like devastated by who's she? I don't even remember her because this new yeah. woman walked in the door again. Like that's <laughs> exactly. not necessarily the behavior of Mr. Nice Guy uh, in hindsight. Yes, very much. And it's like I always I think that's like a very memorable scene of the film and it's shot differently. It's kind of, you know, the classic slow zoom in and there's the lighting behind just to highlight her body and her um and it's only for that uh you know and you definitely don't do that anymore uh and i know it's kind of played for comedic effect as well because it's you know obviously the super hot woman walks in and every you know you know the everything in the room stops and all the attention's on her uh, you definitely can't do that anymore. Uh, but I did find it funny because you you know when you watch something like that, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot a lot of movies used to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes yeah. it wasn't for comedic effect. It was just like, this is how they're gonna have the female character enter the scene. Yeah, it was definitely something that was very like, I mean, it was very prominent in the '90s for sure, and probably in the '80s as well. Um, but just like a character who's there only like specifically as a love interest to like further the plot of the main character, because, you know, I mean, she does have a change of heart or a change of like her moral compass at some point when she realizes the guy that she's been dating is, you know, legitimately evil. But yeah. it takes that to get to that point. But uh, not too far after Cameron Diaz is introduced in the bank as well. The uh, Peggy Brandt, the reporter, Amy Yasbeck, yes. she comes in and she too is now a new love interest for Stanley. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, does he end up with her? I was like, no, I don't think so. And then the way they interact is he's, oh my God, 
it's Peggy Brandt. And I wrote to her and she published my article and then she's a nice guy. Yeah. She's playing. Yeah, exactly. The article title, Mr. Nice guy. When it's like, okay, so is this really what a nice guy is? And that what like so many women around the city are really like wanting out of their man. And Peggy too, in that moment says to him, uh, Oh yeah, me too. Like, so many mm-hmm. women want this. Like, I'm one of them, right? And so it's just like another instance of that. And so when she like betrays him in the end, I I kind of forgot that that happened. But I was mm-hmm. like, oh okay, like this totally makes sense, and I get it. Like, she's like, hey, they're paying me. Like, I need to, you know, yeah. I need to pay. I need to pay my bills. Like, I don't really care about you. Yeah. I don't know you that well. And maybe exactly. without actually explicitly saying it, she's like, I see through your bullshit. Um, and so I'm just going to take the 50 G's and pay off my condo. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? Respect. And they do set it up that she is like, she does have a couple scenes on her own. Like they're very brief, but in, uh, cause she's a reporter and they do set up that she's trying to advance her career. She's trying to get past, you know, the frilly Mr. Nice guy type of column and get real, uh, articles to write. So it's not like a surprise that she betrays him at least as an adult watching it mm-hmm. even though i'd seen it but i was like this makes sense for that character uh, to do that and i was like you know what good for you <laughs> yeah hey we you know. need to i mean yeah if it was like here's some stranger that i don't really know who's going to confess all their <laughs> crimes to me and i mean it's the mob of i don't know whatever like they gave me if they gave me fifty thousand in cash so you yeah know, i'm gonna go put a down payment on a house i live in california it's expensive <laughs> out here yeah yeah exactly like and she still does care enough because when they do grab him she's like oh you said you wouldn't hurt him and dorian's like i lied <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's like well okay see you then i guess yeah you're a reporter do you not know that this guy works for the mafia like yeah. come on you're obviously not a great reporter on top of things <laughs> but uh you had mentioned too that i think you said it was your younger brother who that mm-hmm. you wait until came of age to show yeah. him the mask so i'm curious what age is that well i think he was around five or six um I would say even, yeah, five the most is how old he was. Um, just because it was something we were so obsessed with, but we knew his personality. And oddly enough, for both him and my daughter watching it, it's that opening scene that kind of scared both of them at first. And I remember with we when we showed my younger brother, we kind of sat by him and watched his reaction to the opening scene. You could see that he was scared. We were like, okay, no, just sit through it though. It, Cause it's going to get fun. <laughs> and then it did. It was very fun, but he wasn't scared after that opening scene and he loved it. And it was like, we had to rewatch it and watch it gladly. But I want to get past that initial scene. I wonder maybe if it was like, we have already talked about it, but if it was a lot more gruesome or intense and that's why it was cut down. Cause it seems very brief. Um, so, but then with my daughter, I was like, I remember it being very tame. So I was like, she should be fine. <laughs> and we watch a lot of stuff around her. You know, if it's too violent, we will, you know, be like, okay, this is for later when she's asleep. But she watched it and she thought it was, I could see her laughing at stuff too. So it's like, it's weird that 
that you have such a range of audience is that can enjoy it, but it does not a straight up kids movie. It's very much not a kids movie. It's just friendly towards kids. Yeah, I would say like the way the humor is written makes me think it's geared towards adolescent males. Yeah. Just because of the way that like Stanley's character is specifically. And in the 90s, like you're telling like 12 and 13 year old boys, oh, if you do something nice for a girl that you like, she's automatically supposed to like like you back. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that to me is coming from a place of like immature very much perspective so that's why i'm like okay i see it being like pg-13 and being geared towards that audience and that's probably why the cartoon came right after that and i think it was a cbs show so it's like you're you're kind of getting that built-in audience and then hanging on to them for as long as you can before they age out into like okay now we're like actual teenage boys and like we're not thinking about this stuff anymore exactly i mean stanley is immature himself and Absolutely. his coworker friend is always trying to push him and be like, let's go do this, this and that. Because he seems to have a life of his own. I don't know how he's getting into these clubs or whatnot, <laughs> but he's out there doing his thing. And he's always being like, you can come join me. Um, but there's no kind of mention. And it's not the type of film that would go into a huge backstory of Stanley Ipkiss, but there's no mention that he's ever been with someone romantically. He just seems like a single dude. Um that doesn't have much experience. Uh, but then all of a sudden there's like three women that he's involved with kind of, you know, in some sort of capacity in this film. Uh, but the reason why he's so juvenile as a mask is because he's immature himself. You yeah. know, he doesn't seem to have that much life experience. Uh, he just seems to be kind of a straight laced banker. Yeah. I mean, that's why it strikes me as like the fantasy of like an adolescent male. That like, oh, I got shot down by this girl, but then like the hot blonde walks in and she's into me and then this other girl comes in and she's into me. And that also would explain like the condom in the pocket, like whipping it out when he's making balloon animals. Like this is what the little brain thinks about when like fantasizing about what it would be like to unleash, you know, that dormant side of you that has been stomped on by so many other people. Exactly. Um. The guy, uh, Peter Green, who plays Dorian, has he ever been a good guy in a movie ever? I've never. (laughs) Every time I see him, I'm like, villain. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And like, I've seen him in other things. And like, I guess his other really big, he has like two other big movies. Obviously, we have Pulp Fiction that he's in. And then uh, Clean Shaven. (laughs) And like, because I grew up on the mask, anytime I see him, I'm like, oh, that's Dorian. So, like, I think he's in something else also that he popped in and he wasn't. He, yeah, he played a bad guy. And I was like, this guy, it's weird because he is, he has a, he kind of has like the Killian Murphy look where um, he has a very particular face. Yeah. Sharp and cheekbones. I, yeah. It just kind of translates as, villain and i think that's why (laughs) killian murphy always gets cast as kind of like a a bad or a weird dude as opposed to like a romantic (laughs) comedy style because they would just be like this guy seems aggressive (laughs) i don't think it translates his face i'm sure he's a nice guy (laughs) exactly i'm sure he's probably the nicest guy but or not i don't know 
I don't want to make assumptions, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he very much has that face. But I don't know what happened post the 90s because I don't recall seeing him in anything post the 90s. If yeah, he was in Blue Streak, stuff. I think also as one of the bad guys in Blue Streak, which is the Martin Lawrence and I think it's Steve Zahn. Uh, police, oh. like buddy comedy. Uh, no, Luke Wilson, I'm sorry. Uh, Luke Wilson and Martin Lawrence. And I mean, yeah, his character only has one name and it's Deacon. I mean, that sounds like a bad guy to me, but <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen Blue Streak as well. But uh, he, I mean, he's been working. He's had a long career. He's done some like TV here and there since mm. then. But he's involved in a few of my favorite scenes in the film. And one of them is they do the bank heist. They fail because Ipkiss beats them to it and the cops show up and they immediately get into a shootout with the cops and then they yeah. just kind of cut away from that shootout. But then when they get back to the club, his buddy, uh, Doc, who is like the genius of the crew that's, you know, supposedly the one who's got this all mapped out and he sent Cameron Diaz in to scope out the bank vault with the camera mm-hmm. in her purse, etc., he gets shot and is bleeding to death in yeah. the office of the, what is it, the Coco Bongo? Yeah. Which is supposed <laughs> to be the Copacabana, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's bleeding to death up there and they're explaining like what went wrong. And he's like applying pressure to the bullet wound. And Dorian's just like, give me a cigarette. And he like yeah. gives, tries to give him a cigarette. and lighted for him like get him to a doctor or like i mean his name is doc maybe he was the doctor so that's not good but <laughs> there's so many things you can do for him there besides trying to give him a cigarette as he's bleeding to death all over your couch mm-hmm. uh, i thought that was a very interesting choice because i don't know that it's intentionally meant to show that like dorian doesn't really care about his people like there's no like, hey, let's get this guy fixed up. It's no, I'm mad because the bank heist went wrong. And here, yeah. like a cigarette will fix your bullet wound. I mean, maybe if you light it and you can like cauterize the wound with it or something, but he's lost a lot of blood at that point. Yeah. It's not going well for Doc. Yeah, I, I love that scene too. I kind of read it maybe differently than you though, with that character in particular. Like I agree that he doesn't seem to care about anyone else on his team. But he did seem upset when he realized he was dead and that I think he just wasn't thinking straight. Uh, and that's why he's like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Just have a cigarette and just relax while we get you some Smoke help at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's that's a choice. Um, but it's so weird because that's such a differently, like the tone is very different in that scene. And it kind of reminded me of something like, uh king in new york with christopher walken mm. where he's very much like the boss and he isn't as emotional and he's just very kind of factual about if someone gets shot well okay that sucks move on we got to keep going um but yeah dorian is such an interesting character and he has some of my favorite lines uh later on when there's a character shift uh mm. but even like it's interesting that he could have been the only bad guy, but there is a one above him. 
And I watching it again, I always wondered, I was like, why did we need that extra? Because he could have just been doing stuff in the club without the extra pressure on him. Because even the scene where his boss kind of shoots the golf ball, hits the golf ball off his face. I was like, oh, that if this wasn't the mask and this is in a different movie, that would have been a very, very intense scene. And it is still intense, Mm -hmm. but it's not as intense as it could have been. Because that's wild to, you know, put a a golf ball off someone's face. Yeah, like... It it definitely has like those mob elements, which is why I brought Mm. that thing up earlier about like seeing the dead body floating. And like in that scene where Dorian is getting chastised, you have a pretty good understanding that he's not about to get his head caved in by that nine iron that the guy is swinging. But realistically, you know, if you miss a little bit with that golf club, you're going to do more than like just leave him with a bloody lip yeah. there on the side. And so, like you said, like that could be intense, but we don't get enough of Nico no, uh, at any point really to make it seem like that that scene is actually going to end in the worst possible way. So you're always exactly. kind of like, OK, There is somebody above him who he doesn't like. And I think maybe it's just meant to be some kind of parallel between uh, Stanley and Dorian is like they're both looking upward. And Dorian's a guy who is not really uh, like the nerdy, quiet type. Like he's got the good looking girlfriend. He's got the club. He dresses nice. He's got money. So he's got all these things that like Stanley doesn't have. But even so, he's still got somebody above him above that him. is telling him what to do and is controlling him and it's like how each of these guys go about uh approaching that in their lives like what do you do when these outside pressures are pushing down on you and how these two different types of characters deal with it and you know ultimately i i heard something where it was a i think it was a writer who was talking about how you form like real heroes and villains and it's like how the character responds to adversity or when something bad happens to them like the Mm -hmm. villain when something bad happens to them wants to make that something bad happen to everybody else the hero wants to not let that happen to anybody else and so like the breaking it down like that that's kind of like where you're at you get these two different people they both wear the mask at some point and you see what they want to do with it. Like Stanley's out to like better his own life. And he even jokes about like, I could be a superhero and I could yeah. fight crime. Yeah. But what he really does is just like right some wrongs that were like done to him. Exactly. But, I mean, he sodomizes two guys with mufflers like really, yeah. really bad. Like those guys are having like major internal organ damage. At that point, and they just yeah. like they wheel them out of the repair shop and you can see the mufflers sticking out of their asses, but yeah. they don't like linger on it long enough to let you know, like the severity of what that actually is going to do to a person. Yeah. And I was like, OK, see, there's one of those like rated R things that they snuck in there, but they, you know, there's no blood. You don't see it happening. It just you see the aftermath of Stanley exactly going in there doing that. But again, it's like is Stanley really a nice guy? Like he didn't go in there and just like fix his car or like exactly. them, tie them up. Like he sodomized these two guys violently. Yeah. And that's <laughs> like the first time he's the mask. And it's mm-hmm. like, 
because I've seen this movie so much, the older I grew, the more I realized what he did. Like when I first watched it, I don't, I, there's no way my mind would have known what he had done to them. And as you get older, you're like, oh, that's a really fucked up thing <laughs> to do. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, because it's not like he was later on when he'd already gotten used to the mask power. It was like one of the first things he did when he realized the powers that he had. It's like, oh, okay. They didn't do that dirty, though. Like, yeah, fine. They're trying to get more money out of you, but you kind of went overboard with that. Yeah, um, <laughs> just a smidge, <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's that's a scene that's wild, and it is very kind of like a flash, and then they don't yeah. really talk about it. I think it's his first night as the mask too. Like when mm. he first puts it on and goes out and it's like a dream to Stanley because he doesn't like believe all these things actually happened. But he also, I think ends up robbing the bank at some point later yeah. in that same night. He so does. Yeah. It's like that first time he put on the mask, it really like unleashed all of like the horrible things inside him that he wanted to do. And, you know, had that gang of, you know, uh, hooligans not mm-hmm. gotten out of the way when he whipped out the Tommy gun, there would have been half a dozen dead bodies oh, yeah. in the alley as well as those two guys he sodomized. So really kind of, yeah. you, had, you had to reel it in, but I would <laughs> like to see this character told in a way that allows like the full volume of violence because now like stuff like Sisu came out this year John Wick, Deadpool, like mm-hmm. you can have these kinds of stories be told uh, by major studios and be violent, violent night, which came out at the end of last year as well, Yeah, where it's like the violence is fun in a way that even though it's brutal, like the brutality sort of makes it funny because of the scenarios and the setting. So I think like now would be a good time if ever to remake this, but I wanted to go back to uh, the Coco Bongo because yeah, that same scene after doc bleeds to death in the office, Stanley's downstairs dancing uh, yeah, with Dorian's girlfriend of all yeah. people. And I believe Singing this and is dancing. when, yeah. And so they, the, the goons roll up on him and they want to shoot him. So they all pull out their guns. They just start shooting in the middle of the club and he's, you know, the mask so he's like in cartoon mode dodging bullets but my favorite part of that is where he becomes elvis for a second i know he gives a quick little like to each direction just subtly dodges the bullets like i don't know for whatever reason that part had me laughing so hard today and that whole scene and how it gets to the point where like he fakes getting shot and then goes yeah. to like the whole dramatic death scene, ends up in the guy's arms. <laughs> and then again, the break- coughing. Yeah. <laughs> he leans away and the coughs in his face. That scene is fantastic. It's so good. And it like it really plays into uh, all of Jim Carrey's strengths as oh, yeah. a performer because it like it lets him be physical. It lets him uh, be funny, but it also lets him sort of uh, ad lib the scene in a way where you don't expect him to like cough in the guy's face there. And then after he dies, quote unquote, the Mm -hmm. like the standing ovation from the audience that's breaking the the fourth wall. (laughs) 
And in that scene, Dorian is like, he's paused because he's freaked out. Like, what's going on? Like, he can't, he can't see, he can see <laughs> the people though. And he stops for a moment and he like fixes his hair because he's like, oh my God, yeah. like, I'm on camera. And that I was just like, see, the writing there was like so good to yes. be able to like get those characters to actually like act as those characters would in that moment. Like, why is Dorian like not just still trying to kill him there? Because exactly. he's freaked out because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Uh, and so like that scene I felt was particularly brilliant and then of course the cuban pete oh dance number outside that's, of the park i mean that's you could put that's that on oscar right worthy yeah yeah oh i so good. i sometimes especially if i'm feeling down i'll just watch that clip on youtube because it's just so good it's one of my favorite musical numbers of all time <laughs> i'm not even joking i love it yeah it's it's so colorful and it's so like big in its scale for a movie that mm -hmm. really hadn't been that big yet. He comes out of the the park and, you know, he's nailing the door shut because the cops had gone in there after him and he had just gotten away and he turns around and there's, you know, 50 police officers out there and he starts dancing with them and they're all kind of frozen too because they're all freaked out, but they're also under this spell that he's casting well. because he's the mask. I think there's a point where like he opens somebody else's mouth and uses it like a megaphone in that scene as well. So yeah. And the costume he's wearing in that is great too. Like, Oh yeah. Just... It's just, and at that point it's good. It, it comes at the best part of the movie, to be honest, because you are, you don't question it. Like all of a sudden you think this could go either way where, um, he's going to unleash some sort of madness and he does, but it's not the madness you think it is. It's, you know, there's a spotlight and then this song and dance and that choreography that's going on. And then they all just bust out into song and dance. And then it, the scene ends and you're like, okay, we'll just continue on with the movie. <laughs> but you're like, I'm in this universe, so I'm all for it. And it's just like you mentioned before with the Copacabana some of that stuff, if this all, I would be interested actually to see the script because I'm wondering, there's no way, and if there is, if it is, was fully written that way, good for them because it's a tight script, but there's for sure a lot of that input was Jim Carrey because it has him written all over it. All the impressions that he does, you know, you have the Dirty Harry in there. You have even like Sally Field impression <laughs> out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's just like, he's just so brilliant at it. And he gets his time to shine and it's appropriate as opposed to him just doing random impressions. Um, so I like that they were allowing him to just show off what he can do. Because that's what people want to see when they go see Jim Carrey movie. Especially in the time, in the 90s. Yeah, and I think this might be as close to the kind of Jim Carrey that we got on in Living Color because, yeah. you know, he moves on to do dramatic stuff and we see that or even in like Dumb and Dumber, like he's dumb, but he has a character, right? Like mm -hmm. when he's the mask in this movie, it's basically just like you get a clean slate to do whatever yeah. you want here. And we're going to trust in your like comedic instincts and your physical ability to pull this off. And unlike what they did with uh, Dorian's character, when he puts on the mask, he yeah. looks like he did steroids or something like he's got this <laughs> yeah. huge neck. He's got this like chiseled jawline. It makes him this 
monstrous version exactly. of himself where Stanley, it's like, okay, like he just is wearing the mask and underneath that, like he's still Stanley. Mm-hmm. So I think they knew that like, we can't hide Jim Carrey. Like we're paying no. for Jim Carrey. The audience is coming to see Jim Carrey. If you can't tell it's him through the mask, like what's the point of having, of having him, him in yeah. that role? And I think you see it like later in his career as well, where uh, he's the Grinch. And yeah, it's a very physical exactly. performance. Like he, yes. I mean, it's green as well, but <laughs> a lot of it is his facial expressions throughout oh, yeah. that film. And he's also got a pet dog that he interacts with a lot. So I would not be surprised at all to see like that people, the people behind writing the Grinch and directing it had seen the mask and were like, okay, oh, we yeah. want to, we want to take this and kind of like, what if this character was like old and curmudgeon and <laughs> didn't have the superpowers, you know? Um, but yes, like such an iconic, I think, Jim Carrey performance that doesn't necessarily end up getting the same kind of credit as his stuff like Truman Show or yeah. Eternal Sunshine. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, he did the Majestic as well, or um, that didn't get as well received, but liar liar which is like considered like at the apex of his comedy or uh ace ventura as well ace ventura yeah so i think this is kind of like a forgotten great performance from him exactly i was so happy to like go back and see it and also not just have a reason to watch it but to enjoy it fully without being like turned off by the 30 year gap in between yeah you know exactly. watching it then and watching it now i was still able to completely enjoy this and really appreciate what he brought to this movie and to this character even though it wasn't the kind of rated r violent thing that in my heart i was like i know that it can be that even though yeah. it's not like it still works really well for what it is oh yeah very much um i was reading a just going through the letterbox stuff because you know sometimes i feel like people when they're rating on letterbox they're doing it from memory as opposed to because it's not like the mask nowadays is something that i don't even know if you would see it on tv anymore at this point realistically and most people won't be revisiting it so they're remembering it uh but one review was like this is like the joker if he had a sense of humor (laughs) i was like yeah uh, but I always wonder, I'm like, what I would be curious, not in a way to be like, oh, you're wrong. But I'm curious what it is that people who for people who don't like it, what is the reason? That's if, a good question. We didn't ask. We just saw everybody say that they yeah, didn't we were like, like it. Oh, and we're okay. like, well, we do. So we're going to do a, we're going to record an episode <laughs> on it and then we'll see. Exactly. Because a lot of those people say, oh, they love Ace Ventura. And I'm like, but Ace Ventura is even sometimes a little is. I think a little bit more gruesome uh, than the mask in the sense of the sense of humor is dirtier, I guess, yeah. if that's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering what it is about the mask that they don't like, or if they're just misremembering it, which is fair. Uh, but now I feel like I need to know, <laughs> like I'm going to yeah. start demanding. 
we'll we'll put it into Answers. the universe and we'll see <laughs> we'll see if we get like horrible feedback then we'll know why people didn't like yeah, it. yeah exactly as long as you tell me like what i saw with biodome the, the only people that reached out most people said they liked it and then same thing yeah. with drop dead fred i had one guy who was like you should just throw that in the garbage and i was like oh. well my garbage is a dvd player so it's gonna end up back <laughs> on the tv one way or the other um is there anything that we've left out is do you have something in your notes that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? Um, I think we covered a lot of it. Uh, kind of just, yeah, going, I guess one of the things I did want to, just because I thought it was funny, um, one of the henchmen, like mm-hmm. Dorian's henchmen, I don't know if you remember it, he's like fully bald, but he has the weird braid at the back of his head. Oh, is that <laughs> is that Nico, his boss? Or is that the no. henchman? It's one of the henchmen, and I just was like, "That's oh, a wild yeah, yeah. look." He was he was a villain in a bunch of different things around that era, and for some reason, it's like he's not one of the the top like listed names in the cast. So I'm not yeah. sure, but yes, I know the guy that you're talking about, and he played like a similar type thug in other films as well, and he's got the hairstyle the only other movie that i can think of where it's popular i think is bloodsport or oh okay maybe okay. not bloodsport but whatever the other one was that van damme did that's basically also bloodsport but he yeah. fights <laughs> muay thai with like glass on his hands at the end and the guy's got the bald head but the braided yeah ponytail the on the very back. yeah it's a look yeah um, i mean i could literally do every van damme movie for this show and be totally fine yeah. with it <laughs> Yeah, I just was like, I thought it was hilarious when I fully noticed, because there's a scene, I guess, outside of the prison where Stanley is, or the jail, and you see the back of his head, and I was like, oh, okay, didn't realize that was hiding back there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's some other movie that he was in that uh, he played a very similar role, but I can't think of it. Maybe if I find it, I'll I'll message you and I'll be like, you got to see him in this movie, because it's the same thing. Please do um please do but yeah i think that's i think we covered a lot of it i think we got into the mask maybe deeper than most people would go into it and i and i love that yeah and i think there's i think there's a lot there and i think that's why i want to see like the page version of it get really brought to life and explore some of the psychology of the character that is like supposedly this nice person but then like is it is this wild crazy Mm -hmm. animal that like doesn't hesitate to hurt people that have wronged him and so they don't really like dwell on the psychology of that at all but one of my favorite scenes watching it this time was where he goes to the shrink's office during the day and he's like trying to convince him that the mask works (laughs) and he's like trying to force it with the mask on his face (laughs) so funny that's one of the moments where jim carrey gets to like show off his physical acting without having to rely on like the costuming of the mask exactly uh, like wearing the mask itself like he doesn't he's not that character he's just stanley in that moment but the the throws that he goes through in that moment trying to like prove that he's not crazy only makes him look more crazy and that's one of the few things that you know jim carrey can do a lot of other guys can't do exactly so that's why we need him to come for the remake 
Jim, yeah, what is like, is it expired? Can I just like write the sequel for this and give it to somebody and be like, come on? <laughs> exactly, we're ready. You know, it's ready to go. Not um, Son of Mask. This will be like Grandpa Mask, but <laughs> he could pull it off. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would not question it. I mean, if he I'd could be, be like, Dr. Robotnik two years ago, like the mask <laughs> is not that far outside the realm of possibilities oh, yeah. for him. Exactly. Uh, exactly. There's one other scene where like, the writing to me just was very weird. They are planning, Dorian's planning on framing Stanley at this point. And mm -hmm. he's like, okay, well, we're not going to kill him. The cops want the mask. We're going to give him the mask. And so they, they bind and gag him. And then yeah. they throw him out of the back of a moving car and like throw him at the police officer who's investigating the case. And the cop, just doesn't think that's weird it's yeah like, oh you got a rubber mask in your pocket and he's like oh hold on let me take the duct tape off of your mouth and it's like your hands are still tied together like do you <laughs> think he's turning himself in like uh, i was so confused because yeah up, in, up until that point like sure the cop didn't seem like necessarily like the brightest guy but he didn't seem like he was an incompetent detective no. Up until that point, and he's just like, well, I guess this is the end of the case right here, because this mask that looks nothing like the footage that we have, <laughs> and this guy who showed up hogtied here, you know, that makes total sense. Like, some good Samaritan just dropped him off yeah. here. Like, and who is this person? It, it is a scene. It did stand out to me on this watch, too. I was like, that's a weird way to deliver him. Like, they could have just dropped him in the street, really. And I guess <laughs> it's just to speed things up. Really, they, they needed him in the jail cell to get yeah. to the escape scene, and yeah, they wanted which is the cool also a good scene. With yeah, Milo. they wanted the trick yes. with Milo jumping up there, and yeah, you know, when the dog's eating that slice of cheese, I'm just like, oh yeah, gotta pay, <laughs> gotta pay the cheese tax all the time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Milo is definitely one of the best actors in the film. Yeah, I would have actually liked to see him like spend more time with the mask on. Uh, yeah, but he's still like very loyal to Stanley, and so he doesn't really do anything crazy. No, when he's a super powered dog, he just kind of like, I mean, he just pees. Yeah, he pees on anyway. someone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, he, like he looks scarier. So aside yeah. from that, nothing out of the ordinary for a dog. No, he's a good boy. So. He's a good boy. Um, we've come to the point in the show where mm -hmm. we go to Critics Corner, and now we get to find out how people looked at it then and why some people have given it negative reviews although mm. the majority of what i'm looking at is pretty good although the metascore is 56 the majority mm. of the reviews yeah. here are not bad there's no zeros like i've done with other movies there's mm, nothing okay. that's, that's sub 20 here at all so okay <laughs> the first one we're gonna go with is elvis mitchell from the new york times says an astonishingly lazy and perfunctory effort that does little to realize Carrie's comic potential. And mm -hmm. if that's what you took away from this movie, I feel bad for you, Elvis Mitchell. Like if you yeah. think this is one of Jim Carrey's less comedic performances, like I could understand when he's Stanley and he's just kind of always getting shit on. Right. But when yeah. he's the mask, this is as good as Jim Carrey is. It is his, Jim Carrey. His career. I think. Like, so Elvis, I don't know, but he gave it a 30. So <laughs> when we're wondering like how people perceive things, it's always going to be different. But exactly. To go to this movie and to 
think that the worst part about it that you needed to point out was that this is somehow a lazy performance by Jim Carrey. <laughs> Makes no sense to me. Whatsoever. Yeah, I'm this- like, this is not most people don't even do half of that in a performance. Um, I personally couldn't do like 10 minutes of that without being exhausted for the next month. So like, this is the opposite of lazy. That's a wild statement to make. I'm like, did you turn it off maybe like 10 minutes into the film? And that's why you think it's a lazy. He's like, why are we in the ocean here? What's happening? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Entertainment Weekly. This is Owen Gleiberman said the mask of Rattletrap Jekyll and Hyde farce surrounds Carrie with a nothing plot and a cast of ciphers. Still, his scenes as the mask are rowdy and enjoyable. And he gave it a 58. So he's like, okay, the rest of the movie, not so good, but Jim Carrey's still good enough for me to give this uh, something on the the positive scale. 58 out of 100, still not great. But at least he acknowledges that Jim Carrey is the reason for that 58. Exactly. And I appreciate Which is all that. you can ask for. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's see. We've got you want New Yorker or Chicago Reader? Both of them gave it a 60. Mm, let's do New Yorker. The New Yorker. The funniest moment comes when Carrie mimes the effects of the mask without special effects. Okay, mm-hmm. so he too is like Jim Carrey's physical acting in this yeah. is what makes the movie. I mean this review has no name attached to it because the New Yorker, as I've noticed, they don't want to put the name of the review uh, <laughs> up on Metacritic because I'm sure they don't want any backlash. They're like, we don't even want people knowing yeah. that we sent somebody to go see the mask, let alone <laughs> write a review about it. So we're just going to have a pull quote and that's going to be the end of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then let's see, that was one, two, three. So we'll go two more. Let's see. Chicago Sun-Times, Rolling Stone, USA Today all gave it 75. Oh, so okay. pick, pick your poison on that and we'll go with one of those. Uh, let's do Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. That's Peter Travers. We know that. Oh, name. okay. Said nice. this gifted clown has found the right vehicle for his souped up silliness. There you go, Pete. Carrie <laughs> is the ultimate party dude. And like the masked man says, this party is smoking. So, all right. 75 out of 100, Peter Travers is like, I understand what this movie is. It's Mm -hmm. a great vehicle for the guy that's in the lead. And when it gets going, it's fun. Perfect. Like, I get it. It's not a, that's not like a five star review, but I guess that's a three out of four on that system. Seven and a half out of 10. Yeah, Yeah. it's totally good. And then we'll go with the, we'll save best for last. And that's Washington Post, also unattributed. It says, carries a human cartoon and his spontaneous Avery-esque anything for a laugh outrageousness makes this otherwise blank mask a must-see. So it seems like the majority of critics even still recognize that while the movie may fall short in a lot of the surrounding efforts, mm-hmm. that Jim Carrey is the movie. And that, yeah, like this guy says it's a must-see for that reason. And I agree with that 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. If, if there's any reason. For that. Yeah. I still would like to see maybe that mob stuff punched up to like an R rating and get into some of those characters in the background. Maybe make yeah. Nico a threat that's worth fearing. You know, exactly. Maybe, maybe it's Dorian's friend that was in the river that Jim Carrey jumped in to save and it's a dead body. And maybe that's why the cops are like, hey, what are you doing in that river? Yeah. Uh, just looking at some garbage. Just trying to find my mask. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, what are you busting his balls for? He's in the river. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like if he wants to be in there, that's his problem. You exactly. know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I. It's good to hear that at least the, the sentiment at the time was that it. This is a very much. It's a Jim Carrey movie. They could have even put it Jim Carrey the mask. Jim Carrey's the mask type of thing. Uh, despite the fact, obviously, it's based on a comic book, but um, you know, even thinking of '90s comedians who were all great. I guess another physical one could have been like Robin Williams, but he's not. Mm. I'm sure he probably could have done the mask. Uh, yeah, but it would be got, a different we got mask. Jack instead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but like nowadays. Like I was saying, there are some physical comedians, but, you know, I, I just can't imagine anyone apart from Jim Carrey. And that says a lot for, you know, you might not think this is a great movie, but he has created a character that will stick to him forever. He's got a few of those, actually. So <laughs> he's above, you know, yeah, he does. a lot of actors. Oh, and it has a 3.3 on Letterboxd as well. So it looks yeah, it's like, not bad. yeah, the people that take time to sit down and review it have been generous and favorable uh, towards it. So that's good to hear. And then we'll we'll have to get the feedback from everybody else that didn't like it. That's in the film club. They'll have to yeah. let us know their thoughts. I'll do a write in segment. Be like, tell me why you hate the mask. Maybe uh, my next free pick will be the mask. Oh, make everybody watch it <laughs> and be like now i need to know i'm just gonna rip it apart <laughs> i mean we we covered so much and mm -hmm. i mean you beat me to the punch earlier with uh yeah, giving, giving me a comparable film uh so i'm gonna say that drop dead fred is in mm -hmm. kind of like the same yep. wheelhouse as this but maybe maybe check out the phantom billy zane's movie where he's I don't know what it is. Like, I don't really think he's a superhero. He's more like a Batman where he's got a cave and a secret identity and he fights crime. Maybe the Phantom or the Shadow would be the two that I think are probably in the closest uh, wheelhouse to this that I can think of. So if you like okay. the mask and you're looking for something else that's kind of like cartoony. I mean, Dick Tracy is also like in that same Tracy, realm of being of very, very colorful, mob oriented, but also you have kind of like a wise cracking guy who wears like a big yellow suit, I think, yep. too. So, yeah, Dick Tracy, not too far removed. That's that would be an interesting one for this show at some point. I haven't seen Dick Tracy in a long time, but it's got an amazing cast. It's super colorful, like great makeup, great sets. Uh, so I remember a lot about it physically. But yeah, I haven't like sat down with Dick Tracy in many, many years. Yeah, I actually thought of that movie when I was picking this one. I was like, I'm surprised no one has picked it yet for your mm. show. And I'm sure someone will at some point. Now you've put it out there in the universe, so someone will pick it. I hope so. If anyone's listening to this and you want to talk about Dick Tracy on this show, <laughs> you can email me at nick at the com, or you can reach out to me at Bad Movies We Love on Twitter. I'm there too. And on Instagram now too. So nice. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really glad that Thank we, you. Uh, we were able to make this work, and yep. especially on short notice. And we were both able to have fun with this movie. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always, I think you too had mentioned that, like, it had been a while. So yep. it's always a risk 
to like roll the dice and see like is this movie going to be something that I still like because exactly. the last time I saw this I was like 11 years old um but it's really good to see that the things that I loved about it when I was a kid held up and yeah. then the things that nice. I sort of knew from the comics were there actually had some substance to it so it gave me a little bit more of an enriching experience as an adult as well. And I really had fun with it. And there was a moment where I was watching it and uh, Kristen had come down to take a break and she was sitting on the couch and like she was, she was playing on her phone, but like I look mm -hmm. over and I can see her laughing and then <laughs> that's good. He, he swallows the TNT yeah. at the end <laughs> to save Cameron Diaz and he just like belches out a fireball and says like, oh, that was a spicy meatball. <laughs> and she just like started laughing. And I was like, see, this is still good, right? It's not yeah. just me. I'm not over here just like laughing for no reason. <laughs> so it was really great to see that too. Um, I should have just watched it with her from the beginning. Uh, but, you know, she was working yep. and I wasn't. So I, yeah. <laughs> I got to sit on the couch and enjoy it. <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. It was like I mentioned at the top of the show, I was a little nervous, but it's always such a nice feeling to revisit something as an adult and still have that love for it because it's not often uh that happens so for me it was just like it was such a fun watch and i just you know as someone who watches a lot of films and some that are not that fun to watch that i still love this is just a fun time and like sometimes you need a laugh you know so yeah absolutely and we've entered like this territory where I've heard a lot of people like we saw uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey oh, yeah. that came out recently. And so there's this thing that's like, don't don't ruin my childhood by making these movies. And it's like, well, like not everything necessarily from your childhood was great. And that's something yeah. that is a question that I challenge a lot on this show, because a lot of it is stuff from the 90s when I was a kid, like the vast majority of stuff that we've done so far is from the 90s. So it's interesting that one that there is this movement to not what I heard described as bastardize stuff yeah. from childhood. And for me, it's like, okay, well, number one, like you don't have to watch Winnie the Pooh blood. And yeah. honey. This guy wants to make like a horror themed universe with Winnie the Pooh characters. Like who cares? He can do that. It doesn't become Winnie the Pooh like yeah, it doesn't exactly. replace what was in your childhood and then on the other end of that we get something like the mask that I think would actually benefit from not necessarily a remake but a reimagining or a retelling of this character on film yes. when CGI is better when there's more of an appetite for adult rated R stuff because people that are in my demographic are like hey we grew up with comic books and yep. we want to have something like a Deadpool or a John Wick or Sisu available where it's just fun to watch the violence and the violence isn't presented in a way that is. Uh, I mean, I was going to say graphic, but it is very graphic. Yeah, <laughs> so I know what you mean, not, though. Yeah, it's not presented yeah. in a way that is it's not like, very realistic. Yeah, it's it's hyper realistic, so it's easy yeah. to dismiss it as exactly something yeah. that's not real. And I think you know you saw that in um, 
the early Sam Raimi Evil Dead movies where it's like, okay, there's a yes. horror movie, but like most of the time, if you had like a fire hydrant filled with blood gushing into your mouth, it would be this <laughs> disgusting thing. But like, yeah. it's funny because of how ridiculous it is. Exactly. And so yep. it's like the appetite I think has come around or at least people in my age demographic have gotten to the point where we're willing to see that and entertain that and spend money on it and i mean deadpool was really palatable for a whole generation of kids as well like when i saw oh, yeah. Deadpool, i was like wow there's a bunch of kids under 10 here and this guy's getting yeah know, he's getting pegged over here so <laughs> i was like this is a, this is a little much for kids but um so so thinking about the mask and seeing how he shoved the tailpipes up these guys tailpipes yeah was something that i was like okay yeah. i think the humor has a place to work now and maybe you know what just don't maybe don't like ruin this jim carrey the mask by like reinventing it so maybe that's something but it's an interesting character and an interesting story that i think could benefit now that's oh yeah that's where i'll leave it i don't i won't say that it needs to be remade but if you're going to remake things maybe leave white men can't jump alone and yes, remake something please. that has legs exactly you know something that could you know, like as you said reimagine as opposed to necessarily a, a remake but yeah it doesn't need to but i think it could be great if they in the right hands so and i hope jim carrey does it <laughs> yeah even if though he has won't. the power to make that happen I know Jim Carrey's not going to listen to this, but maybe somebody <laughs> that knows Jim Carrey might listen to this. I don't know. Is Jim Carrey? He's Canadian. Is he he's from Canadian. Toronto though? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he's originally from Toronto, but I think he did grow up in Toronto area. But he's lived in the states forever. So, he's, right, well, I think he's dual citizen now. Actually, okay. Yeah. Well, so. maybe maybe someone from Toronto that's going to listen someone. to this because of you that you know from film school. I don't know. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe we'll luck out in like a couple of years and we'll see Mass Two with Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's a very small population in this country, so someone <laughs> I know knows him. Probably. All right, all right. Well, you gave me hope. I'm gonna I'm gonna end <laughs> on that note and believe that it's possible that it can happen. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Again, thank you so much for joining me and for no, bringing this you. movie in particular to the table. Uh, I had so much fun watching it again. And, you know, I, I'm going to see if Kristen wants to watch it again because yeah. she seemed to enjoy the few minutes of it. Um, and if nothing else, maybe I'll just put on the uh, the Cuban Pete yeah, dance please. number again and watch that. <laughs> the show. I'm going to watch it right after this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have a, great, have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye. Thanks once again to Felicia for making the time to talk to me about a movie from our childhood that we both love dearly. You can catch her on Twitter at Cinemaroni, that's Cinemaroni, R-O-N-I. And my sincerest thanks to all of you who took the time to listen to this episode. I know your time is valuable and you have a lot of options when it comes to your podcast. So if you spent that time with us, I really do appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach me at nick at the or you can reach out to me at bad movies we love on Twitter for the time being, and that's bad movies we love with a LUV. This show is an extension of the and the podcast is 
recorded, edited, mixed, produced right here in the home studio by yours truly. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and have fun no matter how you get your movies.